0: It's too late, all the sooner or later it comes down the fate I might as well be the one where well, they show you. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show topic is your hormone problems. Now, for those of you that have listened to some of my past shows, my most recent show on hormones involved the thyroid gland and it was called Thyroid Disaster. I got a lot of feedback from you and what you wanted to know is more about the thyroid and more about hormones in general. Uh, I should also say that I did a show called Nutritional Endocrinology which was a review of basically all the hormones in the body and uh, their disease and what I call dis-ease connections. The thing about hormones is that their symptoms can affect a multitude of organs, and uh, basically every cell, tissue, and organ system in the body can either be affected by hormone imbalances or is the cause of hormone imbalances. Now, as far as hormones go, they can certainly be the cause of your health problems, no doubt. You might have an excessive amount of a hormone like cortisol or DHEA, which is an adrenal hormone, or perhaps it's estradiol, testosterone, or you might have deficiencies of hormones, such as a low growth hormone level, a low testosterone, etc. But it's important to realize that hormone levels whether they're high or whether hormone levels are low, simply do not cause themselves. In other words, a hormone is a substance that's secreted by a gland. And there's different kinds of hormones. Some hormones work only in the gland. They're secreted by the glandular cells uh, and they work in that gland. And other hormones work at a medium distance from where they were created in that given gland. Or some hormones can work at distant areas in the body and work in fact all over the body. Thyroid hormone is an example of that. Thyroid hormone can affect and does affect every single cell in the body in every organ. Not all hormones do that. So today's focus will be on hypothyroidism, low thyroid. I'll also discuss excessive thyroid hormone, And it's relationship to the adrenal glands, which are those two two little tiny glands that are located on top of your kidneys. And if you look at your fist right now and make a fist, your kidneys are around the size of your fist and you have two kidneys. And then your thumb on the top of your kidneys is just about the size of the adrenal glands and the positioning is perfect. And that's kind of midway through your body towards the back. And again, you have two adrenal glands. And... What I wanna propose today is that there's a limitation in certainly how many endocrinologists, the hormone doctors in medicine, manage hormone levels, and specifically the adrenals and the thyroid gland, because they sometimes forget that these glands do not exist in a vacuum. They do not exist separately from the rest of the body, and in fact, to get both positive and negative feedback from other glands. So let's back up. Positive feedback is a term used in endocrinology as is negative feedback to mean the following. Positive feedback means that one organ secretes uh, another messenger, it's usually a hormone, like the anterior pituitary gland, secreting thyroid-releasing hormone, which stimulates the thyroid gland to release thyroid hormone. But actually, I misspoke slightly there. The hypothalamus is an area of the brain that secretes thyroid-releasing hormone, and that thyroid-releasing hormone then tells the pituitary gland to release thyroid-stimulating hormone, and then thyroid-stimulating hormone tells the thyroid to release thyroid hormone. That was an example of a three-way positive feedback loop in the body. So think about it. If you have a thyroid problem, if you're told that your thyroid is low, that would involve your thyroid making thyroid hormone, and it would also have to involve the pituitary gland making thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it would have to also involve the hypothalamus. Furthermore, because the hypothalamus and the pituitary and the thyroid gland work together, they also send messages to the adrenal glands. Basically, if the thyroid gland is weak, if the thyroid gland is not making enough thyroid hormone, which by the way, might not be obvious on blood testing, a person's thyroid may not make enough thyroid hormone, and you might suffer from symptoms for months to years before the blood testing shows this. And this is a problem because most physicians, if you don't have abnormals on your blood work, they will completely deny that there's a problem. They will look at you, this is what so many people tell me, so many of my patients say, they will look at my patients that have all these hypothyroid symptoms of depression and brain fog and menstrual irregularities and constipation and dry skin and fatigue and sluggish feeling. We're going to go over all of these symptoms and how they happen in a few minutes. And because the labs have not caught up with the symptoms, these people are told that they have depression and they might. But not because they're imagining things, but because the thyroid is depressed and therefore, they are depressed because the thyroid tells the brain how to feel in, the, in large measure. The point of all this, saying that there's this positive feedback among related hormones, or sorry, I should say hormone secreting tissues, is that when a person needs treatment, a holistic approach simply has to be, be performed because the body is holistic. It's not a concept of naturally oriented practitioners that all organs and tissues and glands work in concert with one another. They do. But that is not how medicine practices often. And that, I believe, has to do with their compartmentalized education. You have endocrinologists learning endocrinology, cardiologists learning cardiology, uh, internists learning a smattering of all general issues regarding one's health, the gastroenterologist, the gastro problems, etc. And they're not talking to one another often. And they certainly aren't relating the fact that, for example, a problem with endocrinology with hormones like low thyroid can cause a gastroenterology problem of constipation. The gastroenterologist will simply give you various drugs to try to push your, your bowels, but may not and often does not, do hormone testing to see if there's a hormone relationship. So when I test, it's my holistic common sense or my blood detective common sense that, that tells me I need to check as many uh, related organ systems as possible in each person, no matter what the health problem. So I wanna be and I try to be as well-rounded as possible because you miss stuff if you're not. So let me give you some common symptoms of low thyroid. And low adrenals oh i should say first i mentioned the positive feedback which i gave you an example of how the hypothalamus tells the pituitary what to do the pituitary tells the thyroid what to do which tells the adrenal what to do but then there's also negative feedback so for example if someone's thyroid hormones or adrenal hormones are too high other hormones will lower the amount of those hormones secreted by the thyroid and the adrenals causing a negative effect. So that's a negative feedback. So both positive and negative feedbacks are occurring all the time right now in you and I as we're speaking about this. So what are some of the common symptoms of low thyroid and low adrenals? They would be sensitivity to cold. And by the way, you don't have to have all of these symptoms, but you may, uh, and or you might have a bunch of them and then others might just, you might experience later on uh, as the problem becomes worse. I mention that because sometimes I'll say to a person, do you have this, 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 and this symptoms? They'll say, no, just these two. But that's a lot. Uh, and they add up. And a person doesn't have to have all the symptoms at once. Again, disease and dysfunction happens over the course of time. But so many individuals that I see, when they look these things up in their own, if they don't fit the list of all the possible symptoms that might occur at the tail end of you know the worst expression of a thyroid problem, they, they don't think they have it. So cold sensitivity. If you're slow metabolic rate, you're gonna feel cold. Your hands and feet may always be cold. I hear that a lot. In the morning when you wake up, your face might be puffy and your eyelids swollen because hypothyroid tends to cause issues with um, fluid movement in the body and it causes fluid retention. You might put weight on very easily. And you can do all the detoxes you want and even exercise all you want. But if you have a low thyroid issue and a stressed adrenal gland, then it's going to be uh, virtually impossible for you to lose weight, and if you can lose weight, to keep it off. Dry skin. Super common symptom of hypothyroidism. The skin loses its uh, turgor. It it loses its fluid. Uh, It starts to break down. Uh, it, it, It may also be dry because of fatty acid deficiency, which is very common in hypothyroidism, along with vitamin D and vitamin A issues, which are all important for the skin. And we'll wanna throw zinc in there as well. So then, in other words, the problem of low thyroid, low adrenals may cause nutritional deficiencies like those I just mentioned and many others. Also, protein deficiency is common in hypothyroidism. And then you can't build up tissues. You can't make lean body mass, which burns fat, which maintains your metabolic rate, which runs all your organs. Um, You might have trouble getting up in the morning. You might feel tired um, at rest, um, even though you've had what seems like enough sleep. I mentioned earlier constipation, very common in hypothyroidism. And the constipation that I, that's associated with a low thyroid is also usually associated with a weak adrenal glands that have been stressed out from years of uh, failure of the thyroid glands. And the adrenal glands, by the way, they store most of the vitamin C in your body. So I use a vitamin C flush test to increase the amount of vitamin C that is stored in the adrenal glands and then in the rest of the body, which as a side effect causes a loose stool by contracting and exercising the bowel wall, which is exactly what a hypothyroid bowel needs. So you take something you need, like vitamin C, which causes um, it to go into the adrenal glands, which that then tells the thyroid gland, hey, I'm feeling better, you should improve your function too. And then they say, I'm going to do that. And then they get rid of all the constipated materials in the bowel. Depression. It has been long known that depression can be caused by both low thyroid, which is hypothyroid, and low adrenal function. The joints, your joints might be stiff in in the morning or throughout the course of the day. And a patient said to me yesterday how he just feels that he's in slow motion all the time. Now, here's some additional symptoms of low adrenals and low thyroid that you may not know about. Now, I did mention fluid retention, like in a face or in the hands, for example, and that's called edema. And that's due to a loss of albumin, which is a very important protein in the body that helps maintain fluid balance. And also there's sodium retention. When the body holds on to sodium, think of sodium like salt, because that's part of the salt molecule, which is NACL. If you hold on to sodium, you'll hold on to fluid. You might also have a hoarse sounding voice due to fluid retention. There's usually in low thyroid and low adrenal a vitamin A deficiency, and that reduces the ability of the body to sweat properly, which is a glandular problem. And that, everyone, that causes dry and scaly skin. Now, with either weak adrenals or weak thyroid, we're going to lose energy. And also, the body's going to become, uh, it's going to have more and more difficulty producing heat. So that will cause you to be sensitive to cold. It will actually reduce your appetite. And it'll also cause your body not to make as many red blood cells that it needs. That's called deficient erythropoiesis. Fancy term for cannot make new red blood cells well because that is controlled by thyroid hormones in part. And uh, the thyroid, of course, speaks to the adrenal glands. A person's uh, cholesterol, your cholesterol might go up from hypothyroidism. If hypothyroidism is low metabolism, then your body's metabolism of fats will be impaired. And the cholesterol goes up, along with um, a type of lipid fats called VLDL, a not-so-good cholesterol. And of course, that will all all cause atherosclerosis. So there's a much, much higher rate of advanced atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries and plaquing, in hypothyroidism and low adrenals. And because, everyone, because the thyroid gland simulates heart contraction, and so do the adrenals, and if those organs, or I should say glands, are deficient, then your heart will not contract as well. It will not beat as well. It'll tend to beat on the slow end of normal, and that's called cardiac, reduced cardiac contractility, and that causes a slower heart rate. Now, why, do, why am I giving you this much detail? First of all, I just went to dinner a couple of weeks ago, with a gentleman who um, clearly has hypothyroidism, I could just see it on him. And we were at dinner, and I happened to have this fancy gadget with me. It was—it's a mini electrocardiogram, which means it can do an EKG. You know, your doctor puts stickers on your chest, except this new technology I have—I don't even have to touch the person. I put a special um, receptor right on the table, which is about four inches long by two inches. And the person just put their two fingers on one end of it and another two fingers on the other. And I did his EKG, kind of like a joke. And he had, he was about 50, 50, about 50 years old. And his heart rate was uh, bradycardic, which means it was slow. It was slow and steady. And if Now, I'm uh, I'm a marathon runner. I have bradycardia, slow, steady heartbeat. But this person is not a marathon runner. And he's also about 25 pounds overweight. Um, And he just looks sick. His bradycardia represents, probably represents, low thyroid. But his doctor might have told him, oh, your heart looks great. It's bradycardic but it's not great in the context of the fact that this man does not do any aerobic activity that would normally slow his heart rate down. So I let him know that I think he has uh, hypothyroidism and he got it checked out and of course he did. Here's something else you need to know about low thyroid and low adrenals. When those glands are fatigued, folks, so will be your liver's ability to produce proteins immune proteins, proteins that are needed to manage medications that you might be taking, and supplements, nutritional supplements. So if your liver is not making these important proteins, then your elimination of drugs and your elimination of nutrients will go down, meaning your body might retain more drugs and retain higher levels of nutritional supplements which you would think on the surface might be a good thing, at least for the supplements, but it's not. You, you want your liver to be working properly so it releases and excretes the proper proteins which balance out your hormone and your blood levels and your nutrient levels once you've taken nutrients and once you've taken medications. Lots of people with cancer um, or people on high doses of medications that will cause some toxicity of the liver. The liver will fatigue. The liver will not make these proteins. That means the body needs those proteins to to latch on, to bind to these chemotherapy agents and to drugs so that when your body's done using them, they exit the body. Without the proteins, they hang around. So you have a cancer patient who has all these chemotherapy drugs floating around in their bloodstream And then they get their next treatment of chemotherapy, but the prior drugs did not get cleared out of their bodies. And then essentially they're getting overdosed with the next dose you're following. And then they either die of the reaction or they're extremely sick or they can't tolerate the chemo. I hear that all the time. Can't tolerate the chemo, what am I gonna do? So we improve liver function by improving thyroid and adrenal function and of course liver function. So the liver can make its proteins, which it couldn't because it was too fatigued from a fatigued adrenal gland from your illness and therefore also a fatigued thyroid gland. In other words, folks, when you are unwell, when you have any chronic health problem, that is a strain on your adrenals and your thyroid and they usually will weaken. And then all these different problems can happen. And again, they can be very subtle. In fact, most health problems are initially subtle problems, and then they may become more than subtle problems where you, you think about them often because they're getting worse and or they're not going away. Most health problems of the adrenal glands and the thyroid glands, most of the time, they don't just like happen overnight. And the, what also happens when we have a weak thyroid and a weak adrenal is that the liver will not be able to help manage blood sugar well. That's right. The, the liver also manages blood sugar and it balances out two, uh, two different processes that make blood sugar and also um, consume blood sugar. So if you're making blood sugar and consuming blood sugar, you need the, the, the liver to be able to manage those and balance those out. And the liver cannot with weak adrenals and weak thyroid, so you become hypoglycemic, low blood sugar. Isn't that amazing? People will come to me and they'll say, Dr. Wald, I have hypoglycemia. And they'll rattle off the hypoglycemic symptoms. And I say, yeah, that certainly sounds like that. And then they'll say, so I should watch my sugar intake, right? And I say, yes. But folks, we just described how hypoglycemia can be from adrenal and thyroid problems. And if you eat a low glycemic diet and you're eating regular small meals throughout the day, or if you're the, of the belief that you know regular intervals of eating something every two hours is actually a strain on your insulin, there's a whole new concept now about that, and you want to eat less often, but let's just say for argument's sake here that all of that would be effective for, um, on, on some level, managing blood sugar. If you don't include the nutrition that the adrenals and the thyroid needs, all the things I just mentioned will not work or they'll have limited effects. And, you know, in children that have unrecognized low thyroid or low adrenal, what happens is they don't grow as well. They, they Their bones simply don't grow because the, the hormones that are produced to stimulate bone growth don't happen. So... People uh, who, adults that are usually short, may have had low thyroid um, as uh, children. And I mentioned the intestinal tract. When the thyroid and the adrenal, and again, we're talking about how, at least when I approach a person that has some of these symptoms, I don't just give them nutrition for the thyroid. I give them a nutrition for the adrenals, and I give them nutrition for the brain, because the brain and brainstem is where the a hypothalamus is actually, which is a gland that makes hormones that tell the adrenals and thyroid and a lot of other organs what to do. And the pituitary gland is also in the brainstem. So we can't just ever and should not ever focus only in the gland, which seems to be the most obvious problem. If you have every classic symptom of low adrenals, or every classic symptom of low thyroid that a textbook will tell you. What the textbook may not really tell you is how those organs do nothing without talking to one another, and those organs do nothing without talking to the hypothalamus. And I can go on with the relationships, but um, here's, here's one. The, so when the adrenals are weak and the thyroid gland are weak, we usually have intestinal sluggishness where the bowels' uh, normal peristolic motions, how it contracts, simply does not—they don't work very well. So we have the intestinal tract slow. So the person complains of constipation. Now think about this: if you put your hand on your stomach, there's your small intestine. See, that sounds like a mis, uh, misprint, right? I said put your hand on your stomach, and you'll feel your intestine. I meant to say put your hand in the middle of your belly. That's your small intestine. Now, the, the small intestine is surrounded by the colon. If the intestinal tract is filled with stuff because it's not being moved out, because it's weak from low adrenals and low thyroid, there's pressure in the bowel. And that pressure pushes things up towards the mouth. And that's why so many people with constipation or so, so many people with hypothyroid or hypoadrenal have GERD. They have gastroesophageal reflux disease or esophageal reflux, which is when the stomach acid from the stomach is pushed up through the esophagus because of the pressure in the intestinal tract pushing it up, popping open the valve between the lower end of the esophagus and the stomach where they meet. It's called the gastroesophageal valve gastroenterologists, by the way, everyone, they almost never focus on that valve. In fact, I've never heard that in all my 28 years. They will focus on the person's reflux, meaning they will give them generally an antacid. They will give them a proton pump inhibitor. Sometimes they'll give them an H2 blocker, which is similar. uh, And uh, they'll shut down the uh, stomach acid entirely, which will help the patient most of the time. But the problem is even in the best scenario, when you give a person acids, and I'm not saying there's never a time you should, but there's almost never a time you should. I think that the, the problem needs to be fixed. But yes, the person needs relief, and maybe during that time there might have to be some use of medication. All I'm trying to say is that we have to think of each situation As it is, it's an individual situation and no two people should be treated alike. It depends on their needs and and what they want to do. If I have a patient that says to me, There is no way I'm taking PPI drugs, I'm not taking any acid drugs, Dr. Wald. I say, Okay, I respect that. So here's what you're going to do. And then I let them know. So besides giving them um, deglycerinated licorice in a chewable form, which will very effectively help build up the mucociliary layer in the esophagus, helping, it, helping to protect it from the erosive effects of stomach acid coming up through the esophagus. I might also give them liquid zinc to help restore and repair the lining of the esophagus. And there are several other things I could use, but the, but the point is, those things, as useful as they are, they, they leave out treatment of the thyroid and the adrenal. So I would need to talk about that nutrition. And we are going to talk about that, folks, in in a few minutes. The other thing, too, is think about this. You know, we always talk about the liver being like the major organ of detox, but the the kidneys are a major source of detoxification, no no less important than the the liver. I might even say more important from the perspective that, you know, if you can lose, you can lose two-thirds of your liver, maybe even more, and you can still live. But, you know, you lose two-thirds of your kidneys... Um, each of your kidneys, you're not living. That, that's not happening. You're on dialysis. But if you have low thyroid function and low adrenal function, that low functioning, everyone, is going to cause low blood flow in the body, low blood flow to the kidneys, which means that the kidneys will not filter properly. That's called glomerular filtration because if you have low blood flow to the kidneys, the low blood flow means low pressure of the blood, and then if the pressure is not there to filter the blood through the kidney cells, then there is low filtration, and that causes salt and water retention in the body. And there's your fluid overload, which can cause your heart to have palpitations and problems and be a strain on the heart and increase cardiovascular risk. So, here is the holistic, you know, integrated way in which the body. Uh, simply works. And then let's talk about the brain. The thing about the brain is when one has low thyroid function or low adrenal function, there is almost always impaired, what they call in endocrinology or, or neurology, there's impaired cerebral development. That means that if there is a woman who is pregnant who has low thyroid or low adrenals, particularly low thyroid, and they have a baby, and that baby is not exposed to the proper delivery of thyroid and adrenal hormones. the brain will simply not develop normally. This is a big um, I think this is a huge problem, a hugely underrecognized problem as a cause of a lot of the special needs we're seeing right now. You know, it is much more reasonable to assume that a lot of special needs problems are from either outright low thyroid or low adrenal issues, or everyone, when I say outright, I mean like super obvious to everyone, or special needs problems can be caused by what they call subclinical problems with the thyroid and the adrenals. All that means is that subclinical means it's not super obvious. It doesn't meet the criteria of disease in medicine. It's, it's something before that. But common sense should tell you that if something is super bad, right? Think of something super bad uh, as being on your ceiling. It's like so bad. It's high up. It's like obvious. And then something subclinical, not as bad or not as high, would be something under that, right? But why wouldn't that be just as much of a problem? If disease is from, okay, think of disease as, your ceiling above your head, that's disease. Before disease, there is sub-disease. So that sub-disease is still creating problems. It just may not be hitting your ceiling yet, so it meets some diagnostic criteria in a, in a medical textbook. But the, the degeneration and the problems of development and health are, occur along the way to your ceiling. And then finally it reaches the ceiling and everyone says, hey, look at that. So that's called subclinical illness. Clinical would be hitting the ceiling and subclinical is just under that, okay? I explain this in this detail because you people are smarter than than people not listening to shows like this on stations like this. This show is committed to teaching you what you need to know to make sure you are as healthy as possible. And you simply cannot rely on on the... your physicians, because they're there to do what it is they do in the way that you've experienced that. But the smarter a healthcare consumer you are, the better you are at being your own personalized or personal blood detective, the much better your healthcare will be. The most, and I'll be honest with you, everyone, the people that I see that are the most um, um, invasive, in other words, the most... Uh, I don't want to say troublesome, but they're in my face a lot. They're texting me, they're calling me, they're emailing me. I love it. It makes me so much better and I get to treat them better. They're giving me feedback. Sometimes I'll say, listen, it's better if you put this in writing. So, you know, put it in the email. Or, this is a lot for us to talk about now. So I want you to write this all out and bring it to our next conversation. My point is, and this was true when I was doing my medical rotations too. I remember walking around in a hospital in New Jersey with the chief of, um, of medicine in gastroenterology. And he was wonderful. And uh, we're walking up and down the stairs to the different patients. And his, fa- his um, pager keeps going off. And I'm like, I mean, doesn't that get you an- annoyed? I said to him, and he said, no. I said, the truth is that these people that bother me the most, they're the ones that are getting more of my attention. So just a little insight there. Um, that, that is why I see one person at a time, why everyone gets my personal number, because you know I'm not doing this for you know, fun and games. This is, this is health we're talking about. So let's get back to the brain. If we have impaired thyroid gland in a woman who's pregnant, that person could get any number of special needs conditions and develop a condition of outright hypothyroidism called cretinism. And it's a terrible disease. And, you know, these days we say, well, maybe vaccinations, you know, inoculations or are, are cause of special needs like measles vaccines and autism, for example, um, and, you know, and the like, and GMOs might be a cause, maybe it's gluten. Of course, Uh, I I acknowledge and believe that those factors can be and probably are factors in some special needs uh, children. But I uh, am of the belief that as important as those are, and I never neglect them, never, I think it's more subclinical hidden thyroid and adrenal disease that's not obvious and doesn't read on blood testing that is much more likely the cause. And then what happens is we get these malformed brains which become individuals with certain issues, including they might have inherited the same low adrenal and low thyroid issues that their parents uh, you know, gave them. And then we have generations of these problems. So I think it's much more likely that, that, that low thyroid and low adrenals are the cause of most brain developmental issues in kids with special needs than either GMOs and gluten intolerance and mercury and alike. So now, in an adult, however, let's say like you, you might have been exposed to, uh, you might have developed on your own, I mean to say, a low adrenal or low thyroid function at some point in your life. So, how would you know that? Well, you might have a lot of these symptoms. But even if you don't have these symptoms, you also might have lab tests that clearly show a problem. Uh, what they'll show is you'll you'll either have, you might want to write this down, folks, because laboratory tests interpretation, it's not an easy thing. But there are a few things you can know about thyroid. You've probably heard that thyroid hormones are not particularly accurate on blood testing. That is true, but um, it's a little more complicated than that. So I'll tell you what, for those, I want you to all get a pen, uh, we're going to write something down in just a moment. I'm just going to complete a thought before we get to the thyroid testing uh, and adrenal testing on the brain. So if you're an adult with low adrenal, low thyroid function, your brain might be experiencing something called uh, sensory disturbances. So you might have lack of just drive. You just not can't motivate yourself. You might be depressed. You might have... Um, you know, what they call brain fog. You know, in the old days, in the 50s, they called it clouded consciousness. They knew it. But you say you say brain fog to a doctor today, they're like, yeah, okay. Let me guess, you have fibromyalgia too? Yeah, let me guess, you have depression also? Okay, nutball. See ya. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, and how would we, why are we putting all those things I just said together, like fibromyalgia and uh, depression uh, and the like? Because low thyroid and low adrenal simply causes all those things. When I get these individuals in that have fibromyalgia and brain fog and constipation and depression um, and uh, palpitations, all these different things, I literally can throw a party for people with all of those symptoms and they would think they're looking at clones of themselves because hypothyroid and low adrenals are the function is so common and these individuals and they see me Uh, They think that they have some rare disease that I've never heard of, but it's all too common. It is all too common. But no two people are exactly alike. That's the thing. So everyone needs to have a, a careful look at their chemistry and a careful look at their lifestyle, a careful look at their genetics, and they need to fill out a good number of questionnaires from me, which looks at all the different organs in the body because that will tell us Uh, The whole picture, the whole picture. So you also might have, because of sensory disturbances in the brain from low adrenal and low thyroid function, I mentioned lack of sex drive, lack of, it's deficiency, depression, deficiency of consciousness, brain fog, deficiency of thinking, clouded consciousness. And you can have um, pins and needles and, and all kinds of weird sensations in the body. Okay, let's talk about testing. Um, Thyroid testing includes, you should include a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which by the way is not a thyroid hormone, it's a pituitary hormone, and also free T4 and free T3. That's the minimum very good blood panel that should be gotten. I have seen endocrinologists only measure TSHs. Or only measure TSH and free T4 for some odd reason. Um, I think the endocrinologists might sometimes do the worst testing because they th- overthink it so much that they get their personal opinions in there. So some are they're being inconsistent with their testing. Even most internists in my 20 years of experience do a better job because they'll measure, uh, as I usually will, TSH, free T4, free T3, and then total T3, and then something called reverse T3. So, we don't have time to go into the details of what those things are except for except for explaining to you a basic way to interpret the tests. Think of a seesaw in your mind. Okay, goes up and down on both sides. One side, let's say the side the, the side that's up, we'll call that the TSH side. When the thyroid stimulating hormone, the TSH side is high, that means that the pituitary is secreting thyroid-stimulating hormone because it has tested the blood circulation and feels that the thyroid hormone is too low in the blood. And it makes sense, because if the thyroid hormones are too low in the blood, one or more of them, then the pituitary senses that, and it makes thyroid-stimulating hormone to stimulate the thyroid to make more. On the other hand... If you have a low TSH on your blood, a low thyroid stimulating hormone, that generally means that your blood has high levels of one or more of the thyroid hormones. Now, beyond that interpretation, it can get very uh, complicated. Um, Not to me because I'm trained in this and I I did write a book called The Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Tests." which is a 500 page textbook. It's also required reading for the largest nutrition organization uh, in the United States, which is called the uh, International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists. Um, I know lab and I know lab better than average, but um, it is true that the thyroid testing may not be complete or say um, totally accurate sometimes. And many people tend to tell me this, patients, they seem to be aware of this. That's simply because of this. You might have a thyroid problem for a long time, experiencing all the symptoms, and the symptoms come first, and then the blood follows. And that could take weeks to months to years for your blood to catch up. So you're suffering and suffering and suffering, and no one believes you, and then finally one day, you wake up, you get a lab test done, and there it is. So it's not like the thyroid tests are not accurate. They simply take the time that they take to, um, to respond to the sensitivity of the testing by the labs. Okay? I hope that wasn't too complicated. I just feel that you deserve to know that. As far as adrenal testing, there is, uh, there are, I should say, uh, adrenal hormones like aldosterone and DHEA. That's dehydroepiandosterone. And there's also cortisol and there's glucocorticoids. And um, these, one or more of those hormones might be deficient and they have varied effects in the body. Some of those deficiencies would look a lot like the symptoms I just have already explained. But we would be speaking for for months, if not years, to actually go over all the subtleties of the the adrenal hormones relative to the thyroid. But when you think of low adrenals, it's good to think of it like you have low thyroid because they're very similar but they're all also commonly do come together. But it is possible, folks, for you to have adrenal and thyroid hypo-functioning symptoms, but your blood work never shows anything wrong. How can you have symptoms of low thyroid or low adrenal and have normal adrenal and thyroid hormones? Makes no sense, right? But it does. There are things in your cells or on your cells called receptors a receptor is like a, a, a lock in your house where you put a key in it so the receptor is the lock that is receptive to the key the key is the hormones now if you have a problem with protein uh, and you have a problem with oxidative stress and antioxidants and you have a problem with fatty acids or you have an immune dysfunction or some other problem that that will affect the lock the lock it's like hitting a lock with a hammer you have all these deficiencies of nutrition it's like you're banging the lock with a hammer and you and then there's a time where you cannot the key will not slip in the lock the hormone which is the key will not slip in the hormone receptor so what does that mean that means you have thyroid or adrenal hormone receptivity problems. It's just like when someone says they have insulin resistance. The body makes plenty of insulin, but the body is resistant to the insulin. So the insulin does not fit in the receptor and therefore the blood sugar goes up and someone gets hyperglycemia. So your doctor might say, well, listen, your, your thyroid, your adrenal hormone levels are fine. Your insulin levels are fine. But if that doctor doesn't evaluate you, or consider either insulin receptor insulin um, insulin receptor resistance, or insensitivity, or thyroid or adrenal insensitivity. They just look at the, the the blood levels and say, well, they look fine. But again, unless those hormones get in past the receptor into the cell, then it, it looks fine. But you you might as well have low amounts of those hormones because you do have low amount of receptivity. Which not, which does not stimulate the cell. So if you have low thyroid, I'm sorry, if you have normal thyroid in your blood, you have normal thyroid in your blood, but the, but the receptor's not working, then your brain, you're going to have brain fog, you're going to have liver issues, you're going to have heart issues, all of that stuff. Even though you have enough of the hormone around, it's just not getting in. I hope I didn't confuse that, but that's basically it. Now, to make matters worse, if you have receptor problems of any hormone that you can think of, your blood levels may be normal, but guess what the body tends to do when receptor problems happen, when when receptor resistance happens or insensitivity, we'll call it receptor insensitivity, it's insensitive to the hormone being present, the body may make more of that hormone or hormones. So the body makes more of it, and it might push past the receptor a little bit, you might feel a little better, but eventually it doesn't work. So now you have higher blood norm, uh, levels of these hormones and receptor resistance and the doctor looks at there and says well yeah you you seem to have all the symptoms of low hormones but your blood levels are actually high so you know you clearly have a head problem that's what they're told but remember the level in the blood can be high but if it doesn't get in your cells you're suffering from low And then eventually after your body's trying, trying, trying to increase the levels to push through those insensitive receptors over years, months, or what have you, finally you get exhaustion where your hormone levels just quit and they come back to normal and they eventually may get to low. And that could be 20 years later. So I did a brief interview on Fox News about testosterone and they asked me a question. They said, well, how do you test it? Is there a blood test? And I said, well, there there is a blood test for for testosterone, but how you know that someone has low testosterone is you actually rely on symptoms mostly because the blood tests are not accurate. They could show normal levels uh, when the person is resistant to hormones. It could show a high level when the person is resistant to hormones and is suffering from symptoms of low. I think you get the picture. And then there was an endocrinologist on right after me that uh, spoke about estrogen, and they asked him the same question, and he said the same thing. Uh, you go by symptoms. That's why I don't usually do these tests, because they're not accurate. There are some exceptions, however. Before I describe some some specific nutrition for the, the thyroid gland, and again, when I describe it for the thyroid gland, it's also helping the adrenal gland. And if it's helping the thyroid and adrenal gland, it's giving feedback to the anterior pituitary gland and the hypothalamus. I wanna just uh, welcome those of you who might've just joined us. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. This is a show on your thyroid gland. And I really would like to remind you all to RSVP for my grand opening event of my new office in Katona, New York, which is in Westchester County. It's located an hour north of New York City by um, the um, Metro North at uh, Grand Central Station. and Or it's about a 55 minute drive. It's on October 26th from 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. You can come and go as you'd like. But you really must RSVP. We've got a lot of people showing up. You'll see all the cool technologies. You'll speak with like-minded people. We're going to have great food. You're going to get a gift bag. And I'll get to meet you. So uh, I thank you so much for the great show ideas. To meet you in person and shake your hand would just be wonderful. So how you RSVP is, you go to my website at uh, intmedny.com. That's I-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, M-E-D like medical, NY like New York dot com. Or you can go to blooddetective.com and you'll see the announcement page right there and an RSVP. You can also email me at info at com. Okay? So back to the show. So when it comes to the thyroid and, and nutritional supplementation, um, it may change whether or not you're on thyroid hormone or not. So there's Synthroid which is a very popular uh, hormone. It's also known as uh, levothyroxine. It's only T4. Now folks, there's two thyroid hormones, essentially. T4 and T3. T4, T is for tyrosine, it's an amino acid, and four is the number of iodines attached to the T. And then T3 is three iodines attached to the T. And the body takes T4, it pulls off one of the iodines and it makes T3 because T3 is the real thyroid hormone. That's the one you need. Um, If you email me, by the way, and ask me for my thyroid stimulation hormone graph, you'll see uh, that I put together this pictograph which shows the exact nutrition needed for every step of the way from the pituitary making TSH and then what nutrients allow TSH to tell the, the thyroid to make T4 and then the nutrients that uh, convert T4 to T3 and all of that. It's, it's too complicated to describe over the, the radio uh, how that works, but uh, I will describe the supplements in just a moment. I should mention that there's, there's autoimmune thyroid problems, there's autoimmune adrenal problems, and then there's problems with those glands that are not autoimmune related. And of course, if something's autoimmune related, that, has, that changes things. So there's Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is a chronic inflammation of the adrenal gland. And that uh, involves antibodies, which block the use of thyroid gland. Or the thyroid can make enough thyroid hormone, but then these antibodies bind to the thyroid hormone. And the thyroid hormone, when it's bound like that, it can't be used well. And then the endocrinologist, the internist, measures the thyroid hormone. They're like, well, it looks good to me, but they're not measuring the antibodies. They don't even think of it being bound. Or they know you have Hashimoto's, and for some reason they don't understand the blocking and binding effect of an antibody. So you're looking at a blood test and it shows normal blood of hormones, but it, you have these antibodies that get in the way. Nutrition might be effective for removing a lot of these antibodies. So, nutrition for the thyroid. Sometimes a person needs iodine when they have a low thyroid. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes iodine can hurt the thyroid and cause an inflammatory condition of the the thyroid called thyroiditis, which actually can weaken your thyroid. It's bad news. But if you do need iodine, I always use potassium iodide. And I usually start my patients at about 225 micrograms which is called MCG. And I'll I'll do tests for this. And then we need zinc because zinc is required to produce T3 in the body, which is the active thyroid hormone. And the best zinc for this purpose in my opinion is zinc picolinate. But there's another one that's also just as good. These two I like. It's called zinc bisglycinate chelate. And I'll start at about uh 10 or 20 milligrams. Then selenium. Selenium is required to produce thyroid hormone. It also helps thyroid hormone medication work better. And that's called selenomethionine. And I'd start with 250 micrograms of that. We also need a certain amount of copper for thyroid hormone production. I'll start with 100 micrograms. And then to make the T in T3 and T4, we need L-tyrosine. And I will start with 450 milligrams for a normal weight person or higher if they're heavier, which is commonly the case. And I love using the herb ashwagandha. Ashwagandha has been shown to be remarkable for restoring thyroid function. And again, folks, this is a holistic endeavor. You restore thyroid function. A lot of these nutrients, by the way, that I'm mentioning, they also help the, the adrenal glands, and then you can bring the adrenal glands back. But the ashwagandha at a minimum starting dose of 150 milligrams is what I do. And then I also use uh, organic kelp powder. I'll use about 100 milligrams of that. And remember I said that the pituitary gland secretes hormones, which tells the thyroid gland and the adrenal glands what to do through both positive and negative feedback? (laughs) You you actually understood all that, right? (laughs) I'm I'm impressed. Um, Well, I I also use uh, pituitary uh, concentrate, uh, of hypothalamus. So literally, I use hypothalamic tissue. It's essential, in my opinion, to use pituitary concentrate because the pituitary gland secretes a large number of precursor hormones which tell everything below it what to do. And we've only really focused today on the thyroid, the pituitary, the hypothalamus, and the adrenals. But again, there's so many other connections here. So I have a product called uh, Thyroid uh, Complex, which you, can, uh, which you can purchase if you want on blooddetective.com under the supplement section. If you are on medication, though, uh, email me. Just let me know your situation in about a paragraph or so. And uh, if I can make this any more individualized for you, I will. But most of the time, I can't. Because I need to do chemistry on a person beyond the thyroid, because as we all understand, this, is, this goes beyond the thyroid. And as far as the adrenal gland, I will tend to use a DHEA adrenal hormone and adrenal glandular. I'll start with 25 milligrams of DHEA adrenal hormone and uh, about 200 milligrams of an adrenal uh, glandular product. Um, I have several adrenal glandular products and they're very, very specific for different types and balances of adrenal. So I'm not gonna mention those here because I, I just don't want those uh, being misused. Uh, and of course, I have to give you the disclaimer that this information is, is just for educational purposes. I'm not providing any specific medical or health advice. But other nutrition that is required for the problems of hypoadrenalism and hypothyroidism and pituitary deficiency would be nutrition for loss of bone density. I use uh, my calcium product, which is bone meal. You'll find that at blooddetective.com. I use my uh, vitamin E, which is essential to convert T4 to T3. I use 400 IUs to start for vitamin E. I'll use a whey protein because there's protein deficiency in low adrenal and low thyroid function and protein is thermogenic and it increases lean body mass and it helps to rebuild these weak weak, uh, gland systems, these glandular systems. I'll also give a multivitamin with all activated nutrients because if you have a weak thyroid and adrenal, you're not going to activate and turn on your nutrients as well. So I'll give my multivitamin mineral complex for that purpose. So I hoped, I hope that you uh, gain some insights regarding endocrinology here, particularly as the thyroid and adrenal and the pituitary relate to one another through positive and negative feedback. Um, when you go to a practitioner to evaluate these glands, I would also ask that they do a blood pH, not urine and saliva. These Those tests are not reliable for hormones, by the way. They're just not. Uh, but blood pH is often thrown off with these glands. It's important to know that. Also, whether or not your body has proper microcirculation, check your nitric oxide, ask for lactic acid testing because higher lactic acid tends to disrupt hormonal problems. Look for your vitamin C level in your urine, your vitamin C use in your urine. Check malabsorption because if you have malabsorption, if you don't absorb normally, it doesn't matter what you take. So we can go on. <laughs> but again, thank you so much for listening today. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wall. This is everything about your thyroid and your adrenal glands and your pituitary gland. And again, the the information on the grand opening is... October 26th from 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. in Katona, New York. Here's the address. 20 Sunderland, S-U-N-D-E-R-L-A-N-D, Lane. That's 20 Sunderland Lane in Katona, New York on October 26th. You must RSVP by going to the website at blooddetective.com. When you do show up, by the way, just park on either side of the street. You'll see balloons on the mailbox. Just walk up the driveway and I'll be right there waiting for you. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.